Have your Bibles open, Genesis chapter 37 is where we are, and this is the tenth study on the theme, the story of Joseph, the story of Joseph. We're going to read beginning in verse 12 today, Genesis 37, beginning in verse 12. His brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel, that's Jacob, said to Joseph, his son, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said to him, Here am I. And he said to him, Go, I pray thee, and see whether it is well with your brethren and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a certain man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What are you seeking? And he said, I'm seeking my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. And the man said, They are departed from here. I heard them say, Let's go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And we will say that some evil beast has devoured him. And we shall see then what will become of his dreams. And Reuben heard it. Now, Reuben is the firstborn. He's the oldest. He should have gotten the birthright. But he forfeited it. Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands. In other words, he delivered them from killing him right there immediately. Let us not kill it. Reuben said unto them, Shed no blood, but cast him in this pit that's in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him. They might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father. He was going to come back later and get him out of the pit and deliver him safely home to Jacob. It came to pass, verse 23, when Joseph was coming to his brother, and they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him, and they took him and cast him into a pit. The pit was empty, and there was no water in it. They sat down to eat bread. They lifted up their eyes and looked, and behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels, bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah, another brother, he spoke up and said to his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh, and his brethren were content. And then there passed by Midianite merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph into 
Egypt. The theme today is the selling of Joseph. May the Lord have his blessings on the reading of his word and let God's people say praise the Lord. And you may be seated. Now I have a double lesson for you today because as I have told you many times before, Joseph is probably the most perfect type of the Lord Jesus Christ of any of the patriarchs. Better than Abraham, better than Isaac, better than Jacob. Practically everything he does is right. There's very little said against him that's wrong. In fact, I don't know of anything. He was a person who obeyed his father. He loved the Lord, and as we found out <clears throat> when we looked in chapter 37, we found in verse 2 <clears throat> that at this point he is only 17 years old. <clears throat> 17 years old. His brothers, Joseph's brothers, hate him because their father seems to favor him above them. And of course, as is usually the case with us human beings, Joseph's brethren feel that their father should simply overlook their bad and unforgivable conduct and follow the usual path to seniority and the birthright blessing. And then to add insult to injury, they hate him all the more because of his dreams. And we read that last week about his two dreams that he dreamed and that the fact that they hated him and this only added to their hatred. Probably they are interpreting Joseph's dreams. They don't believe what he's dreaming, of course. They don't believe the import. They see what the dream is teaching because they said, you mean to tell us you're dreaming that you're going to rule and you're going to reign over us? You're going to rule and reign over us. If you look right here in uh, verse 8, his brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Shall you indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him the more for his dreams and for his words. They don't, not only didn't like his dreams, they didn't like the way he told them to him. So they understand what the dreams are saying, but they are probably interpreting Joseph's dreams as an indication that he actually thinks he is superior to them and therefore deserves to rule over them. But whatever the truth is, they apparently have begun to discuss among themselves, even at this early time, how they could be rid of him. And as fate would have it, which I don't believe in, as the providence of God would have it, they are afforded the opportunity to do just that. So today we're going to survey these verses. I want you to look at verse 12 again. Verse 12. His brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. If you want to pronounce it Shechem, that's okay. In Shechem. They went to Shechem to feed their father's flock because it was a well-watered area, a lot of pasture there. It was many miles away. It was a long way from home, and it was, and I'll tell you why in just a few minutes, it was a place of trouble. Some have suggested that they may have gone to Shechem on purpose 
knowing that their father Jacob would send Joseph after them. But of course, if Joseph or if his father Jacob had known, had been aware of their hatred for Joseph, they never would have sent him. He never would have sent him there. So here's the bottom line, and I see this everywhere. I see this in my life, and I see this everywhere in the Scripture. And I'm going to try to emphasize this next week. Regardless of the plans or the schemes of the brothers of Joseph, the Lord designed it all. Now you think about it. He's already given him dreams. His dreams are that he's going to rule over them. Okay? And I told you last week that although his brothers would like to have his position of rule and glory, they don't want to pay the price to get to that position of glory. Just like most people today are envious of successful folks, but they aren't willing to pay the price to be successful. This is the way his brothers were. And they hated him really for no good reason, just like our Lord Jesus Christ was hated for no good reason. But don't lose track of this. These dreams were given to Joseph by who? By the Lord. We've already discussed and we've already seen how that the Lord speaks to us today through his word. And if he says something to you in a dream, that dream can be confirmed by a principle in his word. Always, if it's from the Lord. So the Lord gave Joseph this dream as kind of a prophecy of what's going to be happening in the future. But how in the world is it going to happen? Well, guess what? The Lord even uses bad people with bad intentions to accomplish a good thing. He used Judas, didn't he, with the Lord Jesus Christ? He used the devil who moved Judas. But it all came out. That's what prophecy is. Prophecy is the great, amazing sovereignty of God using things and circumstances and people, bringing His will to pass, and at the same time, those people are doing what they want to do. And God does what He wants to do. So regardless of the plans and the schemes of the brothers of Joseph, the Lord is designing it all. He is the one who is behind them going all the way out to Shechem. And you need to remember this. Those persons upon whom the Lord has his hand cannot be harmed by anyone except by his permission. The devil could only do to Job what God allowed him to do. Satan desired to have Peter that he might shift him his wheat. But Jesus said, I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. Thus his prayers limited what Satan could do. Pilate threatened our Lord Jesus Christ with harm. He said, don't you know that I have the power to crucify you or to release you? This is in John's Gospel chapter 19. And you know what Jesus said to him? You have no power at all against me except what has been given you from above. The truth is, if we are looking to, and if we're trusting in our God and our Savior, that everything that befalls us will only advance us. If we are allowed to remain in this world, we'll be blessed. If we're taken out of this world, we'll be promoted to glory to be with our Lord. 
So verses 13 and 14, let's look at that. Joseph was sent to Shechem. Israel said to Joseph, your brethren are up in Shechem, and I want you to go up and check on them and see if it's well with them, verse 14. And then bring me word back, give me a report on how they're doing and what's going on over there. Now Shechem was some 50 miles from Hebron or Hebron. And you can see it immediately. I can see in Joseph two outstanding traits. Number one, when his father called him, he had a spirit of obedience. Just like the Lord Jesus Christ had the spirit of obedience toward his father. Whatever his father was pleased to do, even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. Not my will, but thine be done. And secondly, Joseph shows a real readiness to learn of the welfare of his brothers, even though they hated him. When the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world, he knew that he was not coming to a welcoming committee. He knew he was coming into a world of rebellion and sin and people who would hate him. He knew what would happen. We can see Christ in all of this. Christ is... It, it can be seen to a wonderful degree in a wonderful way in Joseph. You see, Joseph, of all of his brothers, Joseph is the only son who had a readiness to obey his father in all things. And don't we have, aren't we like his brothers? <laughs> We've all sinned against our father, and we have disqualified ourselves from any blessings from him. We're like his brothers, but Joseph is like the Lord Jesus Christ. And Joseph was willing to go a long way for the sake of his brothers, and did not our Lord Jesus Christ come a long way for the sake of our souls? The hymn writer said, when I think of how he came so far from glory, came to dwell among the lowly such as I, to suffer sin and such disgrace on Mount Calvary, take my place, then I ask myself this question, who am I? Who am I that a king would live and die for? Who am I that he would pray, not my will, but thine for? The answer I may never know, why he ever loved me so, that to an old rugged cross he would go, for who am I? Here's the question. Let me ask you a question. Why do you suppose that Jacob sent Joseph to Shechem to check on his brothers? What would have been his motivation? Why would Jacob want to send? You say, well, it says here he wanted to check on, see how they were doing. Yeah, but there's another reason why that he wanted to check on them. Yeah, you might say, well, they were given to mischief. You know, they were the type guy, they were all, well, that's true. There was something. But there, there's something else here, and I'm going to expose you to it right now. If you'll turn to Genesis chapter 34. Jacob knew that there was probably a lot of resentment among the people who lived in Shechem because of what had happened there earlier as caused by his own sons. Genesis 34, Dinah, the daughter of Leah, when she bare unto Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land, and when Shechem, this place is named after this guy, Shechem, 
When Shechem, the son of Hamor the Habite, prince of the country, saw her, he took her and lay with her and defiled her. In other words, he raped her. She was raped by this guy. And these, these uh, uh, verses, they're putting them very well up on the screen for you, too. And it says um, that uh, afterward, though, he, he was in love with her. Verse 3. His soul clave unto Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the damsel, and he spake kindly to the damsel. And Shechem spake to his father, Hamor, verse 4, and said, Get me this damsel to wife. And Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah, his daughter. His sons were in with the cattle in the field, and Jacob held his peace until they would come home. And Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to commune with him. And he apologized to him, and he said, I'm sorry, my son did a terrible and bad thing, but he is in love with your daughter, and he wants to do the right thing now and take her as his wife. And when the sons of Jacob came out of the field, verse 7, and they heard it, they were very angry and very upset because he had wrought folly in Israel in lying with Jacob's daughter when thing ought not to be done. He had raped her. He had defiled her. And so Hamar, that's the father, he communed and he said, The soul of my son Shechem, verse 8, longs for your daughter. I pray you give her to him as his wife. And let's make marriages with us. And we'll marry your daughters, and you'll marry our sons and daughters, and we're married together. You'll dwell with us. Verse 10, we'll trade. We'll be one big happy family. He said, look, name your price. Verse 12, tell me what it costs. I'll pay it. And the sons of Jacob, verse 13, answered Shechem and Hamor deceitfully. And they said, well, we can't do this to give our sister, verse 14, to a one that's uncircumcised. That would be a reproach. But if you will consent, verse 15, to be as we are, that all of your males will be circumcised, then we'll give our daughters to you, and we'll take your daughters, and we'll dwell with you, and we'll become one people. But, verse 17, if you won't listen to us, then we'll take our daughter and we'll be gone. And these words pleased Hamor and Shechem, verse 18. And so they went to all the people in the village, and they said, look, this, this is what they're demanding here, and we think it's a good thing, and let's, let's, let's go through with it. And so they all said, we will be circumcised. Verse 22 only herein will the men consent unto us to dwell with us to be one people if every male among us is circumcised as they are circumcised. Shall not their cattle and their substance and every beast of theirs be ours? Let us consent with them and they'll dwell with us. And so everybody agreed to it. And look what happened. Verse 25. Verse 25. It came to pass on the third day after all these men were circumcised, and they were all terribly sore, that two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took every man his sword and came in the city and slew every single male in that place. So when we get down to chapter 37, these boys are going to take their cattle up to where? They're going to take them up to Shechem. <laughs> and Jacob knows, man, 
Why couldn't they have taken them somewhere else? They're going right back up there where we had a problem. They were delivered from this, and now they're going back up there. So we go back to chapter 37, and we kind of know now behind the scenes why Jacob sends Joseph up there. He doesn't just send him up there because these boys are given the mischief. He sends him up there to check on them because they're going back to a place where they have a bad reputation. They cause lots of trouble. He knew that there was probably a lot of resentment and even a spirit of revenge among many of the relatives of the Shechemites that his two sons the two brothers of Joseph had destroyed some years before because of their, their sister uh, Dinah. So now we go to verses 15 through 17. So a certain man found him. He went up to Shechem and he didn't find him. He couldn't find him. And a certain man said to him, Well, I heard your brothers say, they were going over to Dothan. Now you're not going to remember all of these places, but when you go back and you get back to the book of get back to the book of Judges, and you remember a guy there named Gideon, and he came down from the mountains by Dothan, and that's where he had a great victory. So he didn't find his brothers in Shechem, and he went to Dothan. It's a beautiful area of rich pasture land. And here again, we see our Savior in Joseph. You know why? Joseph shows a true personal concern and love for his brothers, though they did not love him. When he didn't find them in Shechem, he could have returned home to his dad and said, well, I went to Shechem and they weren't there, and uh, so I've done my duty, and I'm back to tell you that I don't know where they are. Hadn't we done that before sometimes when we, somebody sends us on an errand and we're supposed to go somewhere and we do about half of it and come back and say, well, I did what you told me. This is, this is what Joseph could have done, but he didn't do that because he had a personal, he is totally unaware of the hatred of his brothers for him. He's unaware of that. And so he wasn't content like our Lord Jesus Christ who told the story of the shepherd and the sheep. And he said the man had the 99 sheep, but there was one sheep that was lost. And he went out into the highways and the hedges and he sought for that one sheep until he found him. And Joseph is like the faithful shepherd and he's going to find the lost sheep. He's going to find the brothers. Now here's a little lesson for us here and it's a hard lesson for us to learn. And it's not a lesson that we don't know about, but it's a lesson that's tough for us because we have too much pride and because we have the flesh. You know, what is the lesson? The lesson is to love those who do not love us. That's what the lesson is. To seek to find those who've wandered away from the fold, maybe even done us harm. To seek those who not only are lost, but they don't want to be found. Is there something... Is there something we can do to help change our own attitude? Yes, there is. The one thing that should spur us along to be like our Savior is to remember that He loved us when we did not love Him. Where would we be if He had not sought us in spite of our hard and impenitent heart? 
Now let me ask you another question. Let me show you another lesson. I'm not charging you for these extra lessons now. Let me show you another little lesson here. Look here. How did Joseph know where to go to find his brothers once he didn't find them in Shechem? Well, look at verse 15. It says, a certain man found him. A certain man found him. And he was wandering in the field, and the man said, what are you seeking? And he said, I'm seeking my brethren. Tell me where they are, if you know. And the man said, they are not here. I heard him say, let's go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brethren, and he found them in Dothan. Now, I believe that this certain man is a beautiful type of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God knows where the sinner has fled He knows where the sinner has gone. He knows where the sinner is hiding. And it was this unnamed man who directed Joseph. This biblical revelation answers many questions concerning the behavior of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Every step that Jesus took in this world, he was guided by the Spirit of God. Now, I'm not going to direct you. I'll tell you where it's found. But in the Gospel of John, chapter 4 and verse 34, it says that Jesus was given the Spirit without measure. Without measure. You know, the Bible tells us to be full of the Spirit. What that means is be as full as you can be. But Jesus was given the Spirit. John 4, I think it's verse 34. John 4, 34. Jesus was given the Spirit without measure. In other words, he was 100% full of the Spirit of God. Everything he said and every step he took, he did it as our substitute under the limitation of human nature, and he was guided and led by the Holy Spirit of God. Doesn't the Bible say that the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil? You know when the Bible says Jesus went through Jericho, but he stopped at a certain tree, and he looked up, and he already knew he was up there. There was a guy up a tree named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a little bitty short guy, and he heard that Jesus was coming through, and he knew he couldn't see him for the crowds, and so he got up in a tree, and where did Jesus go? Well, straight over that tree. <laughs> and he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, you come down. I must abide at your house today, for this day salvation has come unto you. You are a son of Abraham, he says to Zacchaeus. And then remember when the Lord went through Samaria and he stopped at a certain well. You can read about it in John chapter 4. And he had sent his disciples away to the city for meat. And there was a woman that came out to draw water who was a great sinner. And he got in a conversation with her. And he said, if you drink the water I've got, you'll never be thirsty again. And he carried on a conversation with her, and he finally she said, I'd like to have this water so I won't have to come out here every day and draw it in this hot sun. And he said, go call your husband. And she said, I don't have a husband. He said, I know you don't. He said, you've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now is not your husband. And she was saved. She came to know the Lord. Jesus was there because he was led by the Spirit of God, and he was there before she got there, and that's the way it always is. He's there before you get there. (laughs) 
He's there before you get there. Remember when he went through Samaria. Remember even when he was dying on the cross, he was led of the Spirit to do and to say certain things to fulfill the Scriptures regarding himself that he might show himself to be the promised Messiah. In John's Gospel, chapter 19 and verse 28, it says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. He fulfilled a scripture. He's fulfilling these scriptures while he's hanging on the cross dying. He was always led by the Spirit. And we must learn to walk in the Spirit that we may be directed in the way that we should go. Lost and wandering souls can only be found by that man whom the Spirit of God directs or that woman whom the Spirit of God directs. And that man who directed Joseph is a wonderful picture of the Holy Spirit. Remember that. Now verses 18 through 28, the wicked plan of Joseph's brothers. They saw him coming. The ground is very level there, beautiful grass. And they saw him coming when he was a long way away, when they were watching the livestock. And according to verse 18, they conspired to murder him. So this was their plan, and this was their intention. Their plan and their intention. And listen, when the Lord Jesus was here in this world, often his enemies conspired to kill him, but they were prevented from doing so by divine providence. You see, to be the Messiah, if Jesus is the Messiah, if he is the Christ, he has to die by crucifixion. He can't die in some other way. And often the Jews wanted to stone him. And at least one time, according to Luke chapter 4, they wanted to throw him off of a cliff to kill him. But if he had been thrown off the cliff and he had died, he's not our Savior. Our Savior has to die by crucifixion. And so it was with the brothers of Joseph. They wanted to kill him. The only reason they didn't kill him, that was their intention. That was their plan. The only reason they didn't kill him is that the divine providence, the divine hand of God Almighty kept them from killing him. If they had killed him, what would have happened to his dreams? If they had killed him, what would have happened to the promise that God made to Abraham that your descendants are going to end up down in Egypt and they're going to be in Egypt for over 400 years, Abraham, and that I'm going to deliver them? All of those things would be thrown overboard if they had been allowed to kill Joseph. So it's the divine hand of God that is preventing all of this. And the same thing with our Lord Jesus Christ. To be the Messiah, he has to die by crucifixion. Now notice what they says in verse 19. They said, Behold, this dreamer cometh. That's the way they said it. This dreamer, here he is. Here he is. He's coming. They look upon Joseph as being an artful pretender of divine favor. And let me tell you something. That's the way people looked at Jesus. The people who lived in the time of Jesus Christ looked at him as a pretender. Someone who said God was his father. Someone who said he had this and who said he had that. I don't know how they explained away all the miracles that he did. 
I don't know how they explained away that, but that's how unbelief can blind you to the obvious truth, can blind you to seeing the way things really are. Their plan here with Joseph, according to verse 20, was to kill him and throw his body into a pit and then tell their father that an animal had attacked him. This is what they said. You see that in verse 20? Now, God uses things. He uses people. He uses places. He uses other things. It is his hand, but he uses things. And here's the thing. When he uses a person, that person is doing what that person wants to do, but they're doing what God wants to do. See, I'm not doing away with your will. I'm not doing away with your choice. You can choose all you want. You want rutabagas instead of turnip greens? Go ahead. <laughs> you want a biscuit instead of a roll? You go ahead and have one. You want to go somewhere else today instead of over where you plan to go? Fine. But I'm here to tell you that when it comes to God's people and God's glory and God's Son, that His hand is somewhere in there, even though people do what they want to do. I don't find anywhere in the Scripture where any man did anything he didn't want to do. Do what you want to do. What I would do before I did anything is I'd pray. (laughs) I'd pray and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? What would you have me to do? I'd pray and say, Lord, I'm going to do this. I'm at a split in the road here, and I'm going to take the right split. And Lord, I'm asking you to guide me and to lead me, and this is not the right way to show me immediately. I'd pray, and I'd be, be dependent upon him. If you do that, it'll come out right sometimes, even though you take the wrong road. All right, verses 21 and 22. Joseph was saved by Reuben. Reuben convinced his brothers not to kill him, throw him into a pit and leave him. Verse 21. Verse 21, Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, let's not kill him. And we're told in verse 22 that Reuben intended to come back later and rescue him. Now listen to me. How many times do we read in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that Peter and the other disciples determined to rescue Jesus from certain situations, from certain mobs, and from the Jews, but because their good intentions were not in accordance with the sovereign will and purpose of God, they were unsuccessful in delivering him. You read that all the time in the New Testament. All the time. Once Jesus said to Peter, what you're thinking and what you're wanting to do is not the will of my Father which is in heaven. Now I want you to think about this, and I'm going to bring this up to you several times. I'm almost through today, but I want to bring this up to you. If Reuben, what did Reuben want to do? He wanted to deliver Joseph, and he was successful in delivering him from being murdered. But he wanted to come back and get him and take him safely home. If he had been successful in his plan, then the will of God for Joseph and for Israel would have been overturned. And not only that, 
But if the well-meaning disciples had been successful, we'd have proof that Jesus was not and is not the Messiah. That God was not pleased because he had a plan for his Joseph, our Jesus. That's our Joseph. And God had a plan for his son. And so a lot of the well-meaning and well-intentioned plans of the disciples never came to pass because it interfered with the plan and purpose of God. Just like here, Reuben's plan was good, but it wasn't according to the purpose of God. Now verses 23 through 25, Joseph was stripped of his coat of many colors and thrown into a dry pit. So the first thing they did was they, they stripped him of the hated symbol of his right to rule over them. They stripped him of the hated symbol of his having been chosen over them by their father to inherit the birthright. In their minds, when they took that coat of many colors off of him, they dethroned him. And Joseph was thrown into what we call a cistern. A cistern is a deep well without any water. These cisterns were dug so that during the rainy season, the water would fall and they would fill up with water. But during the dry seasons, they were dry. And so they threw him into a cistern, a deep pit for catching water, dry during the summer. Then what did they do? To show you how hard they were, how hard-hearted they were, they sat down and had lunch, verse 25. They sat down and they had lunch. They didn't care. What was Joseph doing? I'm going to show you in just a minute what he was doing and what he was saying during this period of time. They had lunch. And I think that while they had lunch, I think they were making fun of him. I think they were ridiculing him. All right, you dreamer, what's going to happen to your dreams now? Where's that coat of colors now, that, that coat that shows your authority that you're going to come into through these dreams? Ha! That's what they're doing, just like they ridiculed Christ on the cross. You that can destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross now, and we'll believe you. That's what it's The two thieves said, if you're the Christ, save yourself and save us. That's what they were doing with Joseph. We see their envy, which I spoke to you about last week. I tell you, this is what Solomon said about envy, Proverbs 27, 4. He said, wrath is cruel and anger is outrageous, but who is able to stand before envy? Proverbs 27 and verse 4. What did they do to our Lord Jesus Christ? Well, they cast him into a horrible pit of despair by crucifying him. They, 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 they mocked him and they ridiculed him as he was dying. And David wrote these words in Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord. I believe this is written about our Lord Jesus Christ, what he's doing. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me, and he heard my cry. He brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock, and he established my goings. What did these brothers of Joseph do? They took his coat what did they do with the coat of the Lord Jesus Christ? John chapter 19, verse 23 says they took his garments and they made four parts to every soldier apart and also took his coat. 
Same thing with our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I said, what was Joseph doing while they were there having lunch and ridiculing him? Turn to Genesis chapter 42. Genesis chapter 42. This is much later in the story. We'll have to consider it more later. The Genesis chapter 42. Genesis 42. And uh, let's see. Um, let me see if I can find it. I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe I need to change the glasses here. Let's uh, see. I'm looking for, I'll, I'll tell you what it says. I'll just read it to you, and I'll tell you what it says. But it says that Joseph, it says that his brothers, let me go over a little bit later, a little longer, uh, a little further in the book of Genesis, um, when his brothers, I'm going to find this passage because I know that I have a, a, the right passage, and I don't know why I wrote down the wrong chapter. But it's verse 41 of one of those chapters later on, and it tells us that Joseph was uh, crying to them, and his brothers, when they're confessing their guilt, this is later on when Joseph has become the prime minister, it says that when, when they were sitting down there having lunch, his brothers said, we heard him crying. We heard him asking us to help him. We, we, asked, we heard him begging us, and we paid no attention to him. I'll tell you where it, was, where it is next week. Don't worry about it right now. Okay? Now, verses 25 through 28, they sold Joseph. We're back in chapter 37. Verses 25 through 28, they sold Joseph. A company of Ishmaelites. Now, who remembers Ishmael? Ishmael was the brother of Isaac, wasn't he? And he's the father of the Arab race. So some Arabs, some Ishmaelites are coming by, and they just happened by. They happened by accidentally on purpose. It says in verse 28 of Genesis 37, they're passed by Midianites, it says. And they're called both Ishmaelites and Midianites. Why? Well, they're called Ishmaelites because they are descendants of Ishmael. They're called Midianites because they're from Midian. Just like we say uh, African and Afro-American, German and German-American, Hispanic and Hispanic-American. And here Judah steps up, verses 26 and 27, and he's the one that said, let's sell him. Let's sell him. Now, we'll, we'll, we'll turn down the heat a little bit on Judah because we'll say that he didn't want his brother to be murdered and to be, to be killed, and so that he had that in mind. And he says we can accomplish the same thing. We can get rid of him without killing him. So his blood won't be on our hands. So we'll just sell it. And it was Judah who said that. And Joseph was sold for what? Verse 28, they sold him for what? 20 pieces of silver. 
Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver. Now listen to me. Did you know that when the Bible was translated, the Jews were under the Greeks for a long time, and they were under the Greeks so long that their children couldn't even read their own Bibles in Hebrew. So they translated the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, Genesis to Malachi, they translated that into the Greek. And that's called the Septuagint. Okay? Now when you translate something from the Hebrew to the Greek, the pronunciation and the spelling of something changes a little bit. Elijah becomes Elias. And Isaiah becomes Isaiah. And Josiah becomes Josiah. And Joshua becomes Jesus. Joshua and Jesus, same name. And Judah becomes Judas. Judah becomes Judas. The same person that suggested let's sell Joseph, the person that collected 30 pieces of silver for Jesus had the same name. Judah and Judas are the same name. Same name. You understand me? Judah was a tribe, but the fellow here that was the head of that tribe, Judah, his name is Judas. When he's trans- translated from the Hebrew, Judah, into the Greek, it becomes Judas. So here's what I'm telling you. I'm telling you that Judas who betrayed the Lord and who collected 30 pieces of silver, uh, there's a lot more to be said about Judas in terms of the Jews. In terms of the Jews, Judas was typical of their attitude toward Jesus. They didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They They hated him. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to be rid of him. They thought he was a charlatan. They thought he was a pretender. Judas is a, he's a, a, a good type of the unbelief of the Jews. A good type. All right, now, the providence of God, <laughs> the providence of God often seems to contradict his purpose. Because at this point in Joseph's life, it seems that everything is going backwards. How can a man who is helpless and destined to die in a pit end up being Lord over those who stripped him and put him in the pit. Our God is the God of the impossible. Our God is the God who can take things that are not and call them as though they are. How can a man who was crucified on a cross be Lord over all the earth? How can that be? But that's what our Lord Jesus Christ did. How can a man who is sold as a slave end up being the governor? Their consciences are now asleep. Let's try one more time. Let's go to Genesis 42 one more time. Genesis chapter 42. This is after Joseph is the governor of, uh, in Egypt. And they are discussing all of the bad things that have happened to them. 
And so they say this, Genesis chapter 42, verse 21. They said one to another, this is where I was looking for a while ago, and I thought it was verse 41, verse 21. They said one to another, this is Genesis chapter 42, verse 21. They said one to another, we are guilty concerning our brother. We saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, and we wouldn't hear him. And this is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben spoke up and said, verse 22, Did I not tell you, do not sin against a child, and you wouldn't hear? Therefore, behold, his blood is required. And Joseph, who's the governor at this time, verse 23, they didn't know that Joseph understood everything that they were saying <laughs> because he knew their language. But he'd been speaking to them through an interpreter. My dear friends, the God of the Bible is in charge. Their consciences went back in Genesis 37 when they stripped him and threw him in a pit, a pit, and he's crying to them for help. Their consciences are dead. But over here in chapter 42, their consciences are quite alive. And now they realize, my God, we're in trouble. They don't know that this guy, that's the governor of Egypt, is the brother that they threw in a pit. They don't know that. And they're saying, what in the world are we going to do? We're guilty, they said. They confessed their guilt. We just read it, verse 21. We're guilty concerning our brother and the anguish of his soul. We heard him pleading. We heard him crying, and we wouldn't hear and I'll tell you something, there are a lot of people right now, their consciences are asleep now. They have no concern about Jesus. They have no guilt about Jesus. But in the great day of judgment, they're going to realize too late that the one they have despised is Lord of all and holds their eternal fate in his hand. Let me tell you something, and I'm going to leave you with this. I don't want to confuse you. I want to try to be clear. We know our Lord was crucified in what city? What city was he, huh? He was, he was crucified in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem. Did you know that Jerusalem has a spiritual aspect? Jerusalem is called by John in the book of Revelation... He says spiritually that Jerusalem is Sodom and Egypt. He says Jerusalem, the Revelation chapter 11, verse 8. So you can look it up for yourself. He says spiritually, the spiritual meaning of Jerusalem is Egypt. Joseph was sold and left down in where? In Egypt. The Lord Jesus Christ died in spiritual Egypt and Sodom in Jerusalem. That's where he was crucified. Jerusalem's spiritual name is Egypt. Joseph was sent to Egypt, they thought, never to be heard of again. But he's going to have a resurrection. <laughs> and he's going to come back as the governor. And they're going to be utterly dependent upon him for mercy. And that's exactly the story of our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. When they put him on that cross, 
and he died, and they stuck a spear in his sword, and they put him in that grave. They said, we're done with him, brother. We're done with him. But three days later, he was resurrected. And then he went off on a long journey to receive for himself a kingdom. And when he returns, all of the people who've ridiculed him and made fun of him and paid no attention to him are going to be horrified. They're going to be stricken with horror. They're thinking this can't be, but it will be. Jesus, our Joseph, is going to come back again triumphant as the governor of the universe. He's called the governor of the universe in Isaiah chapter 9. These brothers are going to find out Joseph is coming back. <laughs> and this world's going to find out Jesus is coming back. So I'm asking you, do you know him? I mean, do you know him? I'm not talking about have you joined the church. Do you know him? I'm not talking about walking an aisle, raising your hand, signing a card. Do you know him? This is life eternal that they may know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Do you know him? If you don't know him, then when he comes back again, there are going to be many people. They're going to say, we've done this, and we've done that, and we've done the other. And he's going to say what? I never knew you. I never knew you. I never did know you. You had no relationship with me. My friends, may the Lord pierce our hearts by his Spirit in this day of unbelief, in this day of rebellion, this day of when, when children and kids and everybody else are making fun of God and making fun of his Son and making fun of his Holy Spirit, and uh, when they're dwindling out, the only way you can pass some of the laws that we've passed in these United States is if there's no God. And that is, if in the minds and the hearts and the consciences of the men and the women who pass these laws and who enforce these laws, the only way under heaven they can do that is if they don't believe there's a God that'll call them into account for it. When people stand up on the sign, hold up on the side of the road and hold up signs, standing for things they ought to be ashamed of, that's where we are in America today. And I'm telling you, this Jesus is coming back. That's what the angel said to the disciples. This Jesus that you've seen going to heaven is coming back as you have seen him go. He's coming back. Are you ready for him? May the Lord add his blessings on his word.